I'm going to start the sermon in a moment, but I'd like to just take a moment to talk about our worship ministry. Aren't you blessed by it this morning, the worship ministry of our church? <clears throat> I, I, just want to, I just want to kind of give you a little insight into what they're all about, because it could be that you're just beginning uh, to worship the Lord, or it could be that you've been in church for 50 years and you're just now beginning to worship the Lord. But let me just tell you what they're about. Every song that you see up here, everything that Lance does, the worship choir, uh, every lick from every guitar, every, every note from every brass or string or woodwind or keyboard, that's their way of pleading with you to say something good about Jesus. Do you know that? I mean, our world is so filled with stress and pressure, it's a challenge for us to think about Jesus. And so if you ever want to know what Lance is about and the choir and the orchestra and the praise band, they're just begging you to say something good about Jesus. They want to get you focused on Jesus, and they are pleading with you to say something good about him. And I'm telling you, I just don't know how anybody could be part of today's worship service and not think how awesome our Lord is. Amen? I mean, his, good, his loving kindness is better than life. And he is an awesome Savior. I mean, give him worship today. If you ever gave it up for anybody, you can give it up for Jesus. But I, I just want to say how much I appreciate Lance and the whole team helping me get my mind on Jesus because that's a chore in the world that we live in today. You know, there's so much stress and pressure and, and tough things that happen. It's, it's not easy for us to get our focus right. That's really what I want to talk to you about today. We're in a series called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. We're talking about homes, families, marriages, parent-child relationships, and as I, as I get started this morning, I, I'm brought to mind about how much pressure and difficulty and trouble there is in so many homes today. Statistics tell us that over 50% of marriages end in divorce. And if, you're, if you've been part of a divorce, I don't say that to whip you today. I just say that to, to make the point. And for those of you who've been through a divorce, I know that you would, you would encourage me to be candid about the struggles that, that life can bring about in marriage and family relationships. And my question for us this morning is, how, does thing, how, do, how do things go so wrong? You know, because I'm, I'm typically on the front end of this a lot as a pastor. Um, I stand at the front of the church, and I watch bride walk down the aisle, and I join that bride to that groom, and they look at each other, and that look in their eyes, it's like, you know, nothing could ever be wrong. I mean, you're the most wonderful guy in the world. You're the most wonderful woman in the world. And just see the, the, just the charm that each has for the other. And it's, they, they sort of feel like when they vow their love to each other that nothing could ever go wrong in that marriage. Uh, I mean, what was that feeling like for a lot of you who are married when you first got the call from your wife or from the doctor that, you know, said, we're pregnant, we're going to have a baby? Oh, man, what a feeling that is. You're going to have a baby. And, and you remember when you were a child and you, you looked up to your dad and your mom and you just wanted to be with them all the time, you wanted them to spend time with you? How did things get from there to where so many families are, where a husband and wife decide they don't want to be together anymore? Or a parent can say, why do we ever have children? Or children who say, you know, when I, when I can just get out of home, when I can get away from home, everything's going to be okay. How do we get from all that hope to all that despair? How do we get from that place where we're so excited about the future to where we just wish the future would change? 
Well, I'll talk about that, I guess, a little bit this morning. But what I want to get to first is just to say this. If you're at that spot in your life where you're wishing things weren't the way they are, you got to be careful that you don't do a couple of things that can make your life a whole lot worse. One thing is to say, if I could just get out of this situation and get into another situation, I would be happy. I don't like the man I'm married to, but if I could find another man, I would be happy. I don't like the woman I'm married to. She fails me in every possible way. If I could find another woman, I would be happy. We have to be careful about that because, see, what I see happen so many times is people... People begin to think about the problems of the present, and they begin to project in their mind a fantasy world about the future if they were in a different environment. And what they don't realize is when they look at the present, they're, they're seeing all the problems of the present, and they're not seeing the problems of the future. Because trust me, if you left the wife you have now and you found another woman, she wouldn't be the answer to all your problems. In fact, chances are you would take some of your baggage with you to the next relationship, and trust me, she'll be bringing some of her own. Or you say, well, if I could just find a, a different man, my, my, the, I don't know what happened to me. I just misfired. I, maybe I wanted to get out of, out, out of home too fast, or I thought I, if I didn't get married, I'd never get married, and so I married the wrong guy, and so if I could just get, ditch him and marry the guy that I, 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 I know at work, maybe things would be better. See, we, we evaluate the problems of the, of the present, and we don't see the problems of the future. We live in a fantasy world. And by the way, in case any of you are sort of circling around in relationships that, that are not healthy, you know, you're not happy with your partner, but you're talking to somebody, and you're listening, or maybe you're chatting with somebody, you just remember this, that that person can afford to be loving and gracious and kind and understanding to you because they're not engaged in any of your problems yet. There's a story going around over here at the golf club that a couple of guys were, you know, they were getting into their street shoes after playing a round of golf, and there was a cell phone lying on the bench, and it rang. One of the guys picked up the phone, and woman's voice on the other end of the line said, Honey, I don't say a word. I'm over here at Schofield, and there's the most beautiful Mercedes sitting in the showroom. I know we can't afford it. I know you're probably going to say no, but I just got to ask you. It's $100,000, but it's the most beautiful car I've ever seen in the world. You just got to say yes or no. Can I have the car? And the guy said, yeah, baby, buy it. Hung up the phone, put it back down, and said, does anybody know whose cell phone that is? <laughs> See, it, it's easy. It's easy to be loving and gracious and friendly and understanding when you're not engaged in the difficulty of that relationship. So what we have to be careful of is saying, you know, I don't like my family right now. I don't like my husband. I don't like my wife. But... I'm going to find somebody else out there in the future. And as we look to the future, we imagine all this perfect relationship. We're going to hold, hold hands, and we're going to kiss, and we're going to run through fields of daisies, and we're going to be so happy. You might want to talk to somebody who's been there a little bit before you try that one. And the other thing is, and this is probably more common in, in, in our situation for those of you who are frequent church attenders, you know, you know the Bible, and you know you shouldn't get divorced, and you just say, well... I'm going to have to just live with it. And I don't like the jerk I'm married to. He's a pain. He's difficult. I don't, he's not, he doesn't treat me well. Or I don't like this woman. She's not there for me. But I just, you know, you know what can you do? I, you know, pastor says you shouldn't get divorced, so I'm just going to stay in this relationship. Or, you know what, my parents, I just I can't stand them. They just drive me nuts. But, I, you, know, the, you know, Sean's telling me I'm supposed to follow the Bible and listen to God, and so I guess I'm just going to have to hang tough until I can get out of here and leave these people. 
See, I think both of those things, in fact, I know from the Bible, both those things are wrong. They're not what God intended. You know, God didn't intend for you to get unhappy with your family and go out and find a new family, nor did he intend for you to stay unhappy with your current family. God has a plan. And, and when you look at the problems at homes and marriages and, and, and your marriage and my marriage and, and your parent-child relationships and my parent-child relationships, when you look at the things that are not going right, it's, it's not because we've got the wrong people in our house. It's because we're not implementing the right strategies. So my goal for us today is just to go right back to the Bible and see what God's strategies are. And this may surprise you. I hope it does. Do you realize that as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a child, God only gives you one assignment? Do you realize that? One. Just one. It's very simple. Everything that God wants you to do to have a real makeover in your marriage and your parent-child relationships, it's so simple. The problem is it's not natural. It's not natural. So if the answer to my marriage and to my parent-child relationships, if it's not natural but it's simple, at that point I have to say to myself, I'm going to have to submit to a power that's higher than me because if I'm not careful, I'm going to do what's natural. And that higher power we know is God. And through his son, Jesus Christ, and the power of his Holy Spirit, he gives us the counsel that does not come naturally to us. See, my guess, if things are not going well in your marriage and with your parent-child relationships, my guess is you're doing what comes natural. But we must understand, the Bible tells us that because of original sin, because of what Adam did and the failure of mankind, everything got broken in the box from the beginning, and stuff that sometimes seems natural to us is wrong. That's why God would say in Isaiah chapter 55, your ways, God said, are not my ways, and your thoughts are not my thoughts, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. So if I'm going to know how to treat Mary Alice and how to be the right kind of husband to her, I, can't come, I, I just can't do what comes natural because I'm broken. And, and if I'm going to be a good dad to, to Jonathan and Jared and Stephen, then I have to realize I can't do what comes naturally because I'm a broken person. i got to rely on the insight that God gives me. And the beauty of it, guys, and, and I've just been sitting on this and I can't wait to tell you, the beauty is it's so simple. All you got to do is one thing. God has one thing. In fact, I've done my best to go to the Scripture and congeal it down to just one or two words so that when you walk out of here, I've, d- I've done that for us husbands because, you know, we, we're not always the sharpest knives in the drawer. We're going to get down to one or two words today for all of us. So if you're, you know, if you're a husband, if you're a wife, if you're mom and dad, if you're growing up, you still live at home, I'm going, to, I'm going to take the Word of God and get your job down to one thing. So let's go to the Bibles this morning, and let's start with husbands. Husbands. Okay. Husbands, you knew it was going to start with you, didn't you? The book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Now, by the way, we're going to be studying the book of Ephesians on Sunday night. Ephesians is like cliff notes for the Bible. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you remember when you were in school and you were assigned to read a, a lengthy tome, a lengthy novel, and you got the cliff note, avert, cliff note version, you know, you could read in just a little while and hopefully pass the test. Of course, the teachers were so smart, they knew what wasn't in cliff notes, and they'd ask those things, and... But if you ever want to read a cliff note version of the Bible, it's in the book of Ephesians. Because it covers just about every major topic. And starting Sunday night a week from tonight, I'm going to be um, 
uh, actually two weeks from tonight, I'll be starting the book of Ephesians. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28, the Bible says, Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man is actually loving himself when he loves his wife. Now I want to move to verse 25. And you husbands must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church. He gave up his life for her. Now, somebody, husbands sat there and said, oh, okay, pastor, I'm all over this one. You said it wasn't natural, but boy, it comes natural to me. It said love. I am a lover. (laughs) Better understand what that word love means before you start flexing your muscles, all right? Strutting. The word love there means, here it is. I've got two words for you, men. Sacrificial commitment. Those are huge words. So, guys, that's it right there. There it is in a nutshell. That's all you have to do. Sacrificial commitment. That's what love is. Love is not being romantic and bringing flowers. It's a good idea. I'd recommend it. But that's not what love is. You know, love, love isn't being, you know, you know, just you think you're this sexual, you know, this great, great, great lover in that regard. That's not what I'm talking about here. Love means you give it up for your wife. Now, God wants to make sure that men get it. So here's what God says in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, first of all, husbands, you need to sacrificially commit to your wife the way you commit and give it up for yourself. Now, chances are, guys, you do some things for yourself. Because the Bible's real clear on this. The Bible says no man ever hates his own self. He loves himself. Now, I, I, got, I got thinking about, as I got ready for this message, some of the things that I have done just for my hobbies. Now, I don't have as much time as I used to have, but in the old days, I used to hunt. I, I, my grandfather had a ranch, and I grew up hunting. And uh, when I moved here to Kansas, I had some friends here who liked to hunt, and they got me out hunting. And I got thinking about just some of the things that I've done hunting. You know, I've hurt myself, I've injured myself, I've walked all day long. When I grew up in Texas, deer hunting meant you put corn out and you sat in a stand all day. I discovered there are no trees in Kansas. Do you know that? There are no trees for tree stands. You strap a high-powered rifle on your back, and from legal shooting time until legal shooting time, you walk draws. I mean, I have walked all day long and happened to make the, the shot and kill the deer five minutes before legal shooting time ended. And then I had to go through all that, you know, to get the deer filled dressed. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember hunting, hunting pheasant and, and when it was two degrees outside because I couldn't always pick the day. And, and I remember going hunting one day, it was two degrees, and I had, I had all kinds of padding and, and uh, you know, prote- skin protection on. And I remember I would walk down the sunny side of the shelter belt and I would get all sweaty and then I would turn around and walk down the shady side and I would absolutely freeze to death. And I would ask myself, why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I love myself. I love hunting. I mean, I thought to myself, I grew up watching the Dallas Cowboys. I'd go out to Texas Stadium to watch a game. That means you're going to fight traffic for two hours getting into the stadium. That means you're going to have to park in Oklahoma and walk all the way back to, to, the, to the stadium and then turn around and do it when it's over, and they're probably going to lose. And after I paid... <laughs> After I've paid $40 for tickets and $10 for parking and $96 for a hot dog. (laughs) And ask myself, why do I do that? I do that because I love myself. 
So here's what God is saying. He's saying, guys, sacrificially, give it up for your wife. Do it like you do it for yourself. I mean, I have to, okay, husbands, you ready for this? I have to ask myself while I'm walking up that shelter belt with that shotgun when it's two degrees waiting for that pheasant that's never going never gonna to fly, and then I'm going to miss if he does. I have to ask myself, would I do this for Mary Alice? If Mary Alice said, I want to go to the mall, and it was two degrees in the mall, <laughs> would I give it up for her like I do for myself? Because that's what God is saying, sacrificially commit. That means everything that happens in my home. And here's the thing, guys, here's the thing. And I want to I just throw this out there for everybody. You do this consistently. God is right. There's only one thing, but you got to do it when things are good, and you got to do it when things are bad. That's the only way it works. It means I sacrificially commit for my wife when she's cooking my favorite meal and being there for me and encouraging me, and i gotta, I got to do that for her when she's having a bad day and she doesn't feel like being, you know, being real gracious to me because just stuff is piling up on her. you got to do it all the time. i got to ask myself, what I do for Mary Alice, what I do for myself, just for my hobbies. Because the Bible is saying, husbands, Love your wife. Sacrificially commit for your wife as you do for yourself. Well, God knows us men, all right, because we men are accomplishment-driven. Some of you are going to walk out of here today, and you're going to say, okay, that's no problem. I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And he also knows that we can get to the place where we say, I've done that. Pastor, you just don't understand. I've done that. I've got that. I'm at the end. I've, I've, I've sacrificially committed for my wife just like I do for myself. So God has one more assignment just in case we think we've got that one finished. And you ever do that back when you were in school? You got, you got, you're finished. And you say, I'm, I'm turning it in. I'm finished. And then your teacher has another assignment for you. And that's what happens. We get, to the, we get to God's desk and we hand over the paper and we say, okay, God, I'm there. I sacrificially commit for my wife just like I do for myself. God says, we've got one more assignment. Before you finish, you just got one more chore. You got to sacrificially give it up for your wife the way Jesus did for you. <laughs> when I read the book, I read that he walked up a hill, lay down on the cross, and let men drive nails into his hands and feet and thorns into his brow. And he hung there, suspended between heaven and earth for six hours for people who never understand what it cost him. And beyond that, he did it for people that had done things wrong. So just in case I'm ready to turn my assignment in and say, God, I love Mary Alice. I'm sacrificially committed to her just like I commit for myself. God said, Mark, got one more thing for you to do. I just want you to, I want you to give it up for Mary Alice the way Jesus did for you. Something tells me I'll never get there. Now let's talk to wives. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. You wives will submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of his body, the church. He gave his life to be her savior. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives must submit to your husbands in everything. Did I say that this didn't come naturally? I just want to make sure I said that before I get into this one. <laughs> Ladies, the word that I want to give you is respect. Respect. So as the husband is giving it up for his wife and sacrificially committing to her, the wife is respecting 
her husband. Now, I want you to understand, when the word says submit, it doesn't mean, ladies, that you get on your knees and you grovel, you know, in a slave costume to your husband. That's not what it's talking about. It means you take your place in the lineup. You accept the fact that your husband has been established by God to be the leader of the home, and so you're just taking your place next to him. And you're saying, I accept his leadership. I respect him. I respect him. Now, I want to, you know, just kind of like I got under the men's hood and behind her grill a little bit, you know, ladies, I want to do that with you. Because, see, here's the thing. And, I, and you have to understand, I've pastored for a lot of years, and many, many ladies have come in to talk to me. And I know that when ladies say this to me, many times they're exactly, I know they really, they understand the scenario, and, and they're asking me for a legitimate thing. But I do think sometimes ladies ask me this question. I don't think they really understand what they're asking for. Uh, probably the, the number one question that ladies have shared with me or the number one request that ladies have shared with me in counseling in the last 30 years is, Pastor, I want my husband to be the leader. And my guess is there's some of you ladies out there saying that right now. You're saying, hey, Mark, I'm all over it. I want to honor my husband. I just want my husband to be the leader of my family. Sounds good. Because, see, built into that request is a caveat. It's an out. There's an asterisk built into that statement that Christian ladies can sort of read the Bible and feel good that they've read the Bible and they're where God is, but at the same time they can sort of go on doing what they're doing right now. Basically what they're saying is, Mark, I will follow my husband as soon as he becomes the leader. I will respect him as soon as he becomes the leader. You see the caveat. It is, I can go on doing my thing, but I'm waiting for my husband to do what the Bible tells him to do before I honor him. I have learned to ask a rather uncomfortable question. I will ask that lady at that point, tell me then, what leadership would look like. If your husband were to become the leader in your family, tell me what it would look like. Give me an envisionment of what that leadership would be. And, and oftentimes at that point, an agenda spills out. Her agenda. And I say, are you listening to yourself? Because what you're saying is, I want my husband to be the leader, but I want him to lead my way. I want him to take my agenda and implement it in the family. I want him to do what I want him to do and for him to take the responsibility. Ladies, we're all looking for that person. We're all looking for somebody who will implement our agenda and take the heat for it. My soul, if you could find that person, that's a find. What the Bible is saying here, ladies, is you have respect for your husband. It doesn't come naturally. Because let me just tell you this. You live with anybody 365 days a year, and it's a challenge to respect that person. Because familiarity breeds contempt. Say it out loud. That's right. Familiarity breeds contempt. That happens in all our relationships. See, the, the challenge in life, and I'm getting on another subject for a moment, the challenge in life is not to start friendships. The challenge in life is to maintain friendships. It's easy to start friendships. 
The challenge is in maintaining a friendship when you spend a lot of time together. I mean, if you look at the great partnerships, the great entertainment partnerships throughout, throughout the world, I mean, if you look at the great bands through the years, how they break up and they won't play together anymore, and, and people are wanting them to, to come back and do a reunion concert, and a lot of them don't do it until the money's so big they can't say no to it. Why is it these bands break up? Why is the entertainment teams break up? It's because they spend so much time together, it's tough after a while to respect the other people in the band. Same thing happens in a marriage. God is saying it doesn't come natural, ladies, but respect your husbands. Well, let's go now to the third part of the relationship. This is for parents. I'm in Ephesians chapter 6 now. We've moved into chapter 6, and the fourth verse, it's going to say fathers, but it's a term for parents in general. Parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Parents, number one word. Let me just give you one word. The word is encourage. Encourage. Have you ever thought about the word encourage? It means to infuse courage, to give courage. Here's what God is saying to moms and dads. God is saying, moms and dads, whatever you do, don't make your children believe they don't have a future. Don't exasperate them. But instead, the Bible says, bring them up. Bring them up. Now, that's a very interesting, that's a very interesting span of language right there because let's just think for a moment. I'm up here on this stage. If you were to come up here, I could get you up here several ways. First of all, I could stand down here and I could send you up. I could say, you've got to climb those stairs, and then you'll be up on the stage. If, if I were so inclined, I could push you up. But there is only one way that I can bring you up. By, by linguistic definition, I cannot bring you up unless I'm up. I can't bring you here unless I'm here already. Too many moms and dads are trying to send their kids up. They're not up, but they want their kids up. So they want to send them up. They want to push them up. Kid, you know, don't do, don't do as I do, do as I say. I'm lazy and I miss church, but I want you to go to church. I, I'm not honest, but I want you to be honest. I abuse substances, but I don't want you to abuse substances. I'm pushing you up. I'm sending you up. God's saying, moms and dads, the job is to bring them up. You can't bring somebody where you're not. I may not be good grammar, but it's true, right? You give your children a future. You never, never make them believe they can't win. You never make them believe they can't achieve. Let me go to this final one because I've got to hurry now. My time is getting away from me, but I want to talk to, talk to those of you who still live at home and, and you still live under your parents' roof. In Ephesians 6, verse 1, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Here's the word. Honor your father and mother this is the first of the Ten Commandments that ends with a promise. And this is the promise. If you honor your father and mother, you will live a long life full of blessing. Okay, guys, see the word honor there? I'm going to tell you what it means. The Greek word is temea. It means value. 
So see, I mean, we've given everybody one, one or two words of responsibility. Husbands, sacrificially commit. Wives, respect. Children, uh, parents, encourage. <clears throat> Kids, teens, <clears throat> value. Value. Well, that doesn't come natural either, does it? <clears throat> because sometimes when we grow up, we, 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 intend, we, we, we incline ourselves not to value our parents because after all, they're in a different generation and they don't know what's going down and, and uh, they, they don't understand my friends and they don't understand the way I dress and they don't understand the music I listen to. And, and uh, yes, boy, you know, they're just not important in my life anymore. Now, the Bible is saying... To those of you who are still at home, value your parents. Now, I've given you the plan. It doesn't come natural. You know, husbands sacrificially commit, wives respect, parents encourage, kids value. I mean, those things don't come natural, but those are, that's God's plan. God is saying, if you do those things, you can have a makeover in your home. But now, I could be talking to somebody here this morning, and you say, Pastor, I have an issue with something that you said this morning. <laughs> and my guess is, I'm talking to some of you right now. You say, I have a big issue with what you're talking about. Now, I'm sure you could make out a whole, you could write me out several reams of paper, perhaps, of reasons why you should not do what God is asking you to do today. You could give me a lot of caveats and a lot of exception clauses and a lot, you know, a lot of scenarios in which you just say, what, I, what I've talked about today won't work. But before I do, I want to give you two thoughts. The first thought is this. Just as God is wanting you to do the one thing you do with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, with your parents, you have an enemy that's going to try to tempt you not to do those things. Just as there is a God who wants to encourage you to do the right thing, there is an enemy who's going to do everything he can to break up your home. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, to destroy. So listen, you have a real enemy. When he looks at your family, your marriage, your kids, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy because your home is valuable. People don't steal junk. They steal valuable stuff. And Satan wants to steal your marriage. He wants to steal your home. He wants to steal your relationships. He wants to steal your life. Now here's what you have to understand. Satan is always going to tempt you in the point of your respondent's greatest vulnerability. Now I know I've, I've said that real quickly. Let me slow it down a little bit. Satan is always going to tempt you in the area of your respondent's greatest vulnerability. Let's walk through it. Husbands, sacrificially commit to your wife. Why? What will your wife get from you if you're sacrificially committed to her? Real simple, security. If your wife knows that you're so committed to her, that you're never going to leave her, and beyond that, you're going to sacrifice to make sure that what she needs, she's going to have. Emotionally, spiritually, physically. If she knows that you're going to give it up for her, guess what she gets? She gets security. What's the number one need that God has made a woman with? Need for security. So when husbands, when we're selfish, and when we're unkind, and when we... When we clearly, when we clearly seek our own interests ahead of our wives, we are making the person who's most important in our lives insecure. See what I'm saying? Satan will tempt you in the area of your respondent's greatest vulnerability. 
God has made a man with number one need, respect. That's why when men get together, they say, what do you do for a living? And they'll just sort of compare to see how they rank among the men. God has just given men a need for respect. And ladies, if you want to, you can make jokes about male ego all day long, and you're probably right, and there are a lot of funny stuff that goes with that, but God has made your husband with a need for respect. And when you don't respect him, you're hitting him in the area of his greatest vulnerability. You say, well, Mark, that's what I intend to do. Can you imagine two people out in the middle of a lake in a boat, a rowboat, and one takes a hammer and says, I'm angry at you. I'm going to sink this boat. Not smart. You're in the same boat. So ladies, if you want to, you can just sort of just poke holes in your husband all day long. And like I said a few moments ago, you'll always have plenty of opportunity to do that. But you're in the boat. Sure you want to do that? Parents, if there's one thing that can exasperate you, it's raising kids. I mean, there are times when you, when you sacrifice and you give and you love and you're there and you plead with them to see what's in their best interest and they will just drive you nuts. And what is it you want to say? You're never going to be a success. You keep this going, you're going to be a loser. You're not going to graduate from high school. And if you graduate from high school, you won't make it in college. They're going to throw you out. And you're never going to be able to get a good job. And you're not going to find a mate that's going to want to marry you. You're going to be a loser. Do we really mean that? No, we're scared. And because we're scared, we overreact. And we say things to our kids to scare them. What we have to realize is that when we do that, we're hitting them at the point of their greatest vulnerability because every young person wants to believe that there's hope, that there's a future, that they're going to get somewhere because they're in high school, and right now they feel like the biggest loser in high school. There's just something about all of us. I mean, what is it about young girls that we don't feel attractive and guys, we don't feel like we measure up, and we're always trying to measure up? And God is saying to parents, make sure your kids know they have a future. They have hope. They're going to get there. In fact, when you do discipline, discipline them, discipline them with the reality that what they're doing is they're threatening that hope, and you don't want to see them threaten that hope because you believe in them and you believe in that hope. And kids, i got to tell you something. For some of you who are living at home right now, your parents are just driving you nuts. But if you'll back up for a few moments, I think you'll see some people that are sacrificing for you and giving up stuff that they could have. Trust me, you look at what it takes to raise a kid, I'm guaranteeing you your dad could buy a Porsche for that. Next time you look in the mirror, you just realize, you know what, if I, you know what, my dad could have had a Porsche, my mom could have had a bigger home, but they loved you and they wanted you. And when you don't value, listen to me, and I know I'm talking to some teens today, I'm talking to some kids. When you don't value your parents, you hit them at the point of their greatest vulnerability because what they believe in is they believe in you and they love you and they sacrifice for you. And when you say to them, I don't value you, you just told your parents that all the sacrifice wasn't worth it. You see what I'm saying? You see the wisdom of God. Second thing I want to tell you, I know what somebody's thinking out here. <laughs> And I'm going to, you know, this is one of those messages I preach and I have my car running so I can leave real fast. As as <laughs> I changed my email address. <laughs> I hear what somebody's saying. You're saying, Mark, 
I will sacrificially commit to my wife when she deserves it. I will respect my husband when he earns that respect. I'll quit exasperating my kids when they quit being total losers. I'll value my parents when they start behaving in a way that I can value them. You will play that game until you die if you want to. Because your wife will never deserve your sacrificial commitment. Your husband will never deserve your respect. Your kids will never deserve constant encouragement. And your parents will never deserve constant value. We're flawed people. We're broken people. If you want to wait until the other people in your family deserve you to do what God wants you to do, you'll play that game the rest of your life. And I'm telling you, you don't deserve what God is asking them to do for you. It doesn't come down to who deserves what. It comes down to, do you want a makeover? Do you want to have the kind of home that God wants you to have? Well, somebody's saying, you got me. I'm backed into a corner now. <laughs> oh, one more thing, Mark. Who goes first? I'm sitting here on this bench with my husband today, and we're going to play a game of chicken when we go home to see who, <laughs> who goes first. Well, I, I, thought I, would, I thought I would address that just to make sure that I didn't lose it today, so I want you to know. Who's supposed to go first? You are. No matter who you are, you go first. You go home, and you'll be the first one. Do you realize if you would do what God asked you to do? Remember what I talked to you about last week about pumping good stuff into the environment? Man, you just pump clean air into your environment if you will do what God asks you to do. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's not complicated. It's just one thing. The only thing is it's not natural. May God help you and may God help me to be who we should be. Thank you for listening this morning. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for these wonderful people who have listened. They've encouraged me, Lord, just by the spirits and by the expressions on their faces. God, I pray you'd help us. We, 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 we want... We want to be successful. Help us as husbands and wives, moms and dads, and, and kids and teens and young singles. Lord, just help us, please, because we don't have the strength to do this by ourselves, but we want to do it. And I pray for every, everyone here that your grace might be upon them. 